0: Uh, John Benzinger's book, Stand Christianity versus Social Justice, if you're still hearing some of these things and you're wrestling with them in your mind and and you want another resource to be able to uh, get some good definitions and see biblical texts that relate directly to the subject, this is a very helpful book. Uh, I think John had told me this week, you had said something, Virgil, like it's maybe... You know, just his idea, his ability to take a complex subject yes. and simplify it yes. in the way that he does it here and then to ask some direct questions. Mm-hmm. I, I had texted John and I said, I think this is a handy book not only for you uh, to have and to read, but also to pick up an extra copy mm-hmm. and give to the college student in your life and say, would you read this with me and yeah. let's get back together and let's just talk about it? Because mm-hmm. uh, I think some of that's going to come up in our Q&A here in a second, when we talk about the word justice, there's a lot of people that say, oh, I, I love justice, I wanna pursue justice for people. You really need to be asking, what do you mean when yes. you say that? Because uh, you may be thinking something else than they're thinking. And John does a really good job in here also about describing God's justice yes. and what that looks like. That's what we need to be unified in regards to. So grab a copy of that. All right. I uh, apologize ahead of time, there's no way we're getting to everybody's question, but we're going to get started. Uh, Question one, and I think this might be a good launching point, what's the difference between Marxism, socialism, and communism, and then why are these ideologies so pervasive throughout history and culture, seeming, seeming the default of all liberal parties or systems, When, if put into practice in governments or countries, they're not successful even by worldly or economic standards. So the difference between Marxism, socialism, communism, why are they so pervasive, even though we've watched them fail?
1: Yeah, I would say the difference between the three is the extent to which they spread misery around. (laughs) Uh, Socialism is, is kind of, if I could use the analogy of uh, you pull up to a gas station pump and you have three degrees of um, gasoline mixture that you can get. You can get the low grade, mid grade or high grade. Socialism is low grade misery. Marxism, mid grade misery. Communism is high grade misery. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the one way that these ideologies take a foothold in the culture is because we've got a warped idea of equality. Yes. We've got this idea that somehow society exists to make everything and everyone equal under this sort of uh, just arbitrary idea of fairness and justice and equity when scripture is completely antithetical to all of that. And it's amazing when you think about it, how human beings who are innately sinful <clears throat> want to convince other sinful human beings that they're more sinful than, than they are. And this is really where these ideas of social, uh, socialism, Marxism and communism come from, because they're all human remedies for the human condition. That's right. And uh, they're warped remedies but they're all remedies that come about from sinful human beings that accuse other sinful human beings that they're more sinful than they are. So you need to follow my way of thinking in order to remedy your sinfulness. Now they don't use the word sinfulness because they're humanists. All those ideas are humanism. They're not, there's nothing theological about them that, 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 that that are inherently theological to those ideas. The ideas are theological, but based on their origins and the genesis, their, their, their origins are humanistic uh, ways of dealing with the sin issue. Um, uh, so so to, 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 to look at those three ideas, they're not very much a, apart from one another. They all are rooted in envy. They're all rooted in covetousness. They're all rooted in je- jealousy. They're all rooted in hatred they're all rooted in discrimination, they're all rooted in partiality because the higher degree within those ideologies that you go, you go from socialism to Marxism to communism, the level of greed uh, is exponentially higher as well. So socialists will describe socialism as shared uh, wealth distribution uh, when it's really theft. Marxism will describe itself as a way of writing economic wow. disparities and injustices, which again is just another way of, of describing theft. Communism is just flat out overt egregious robbery where you don't own anything, um, which is totally antithetical against the commandment that thou shall not steal. The, the idea of, of uh, that commandment intrinsically uh, declares that there is such a thing as private property. I'm gonna let that one sit for a second. You can't steal what somebody else doesn't own. You can only steal what is owned by someone. So the idea of ownership, the idea of private property, the idea of rightly gained wealth, not 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 illegal gain, illegally gain wealth, not, uh, not simply gain wealth. I'm talking about rightly, legitimately gaining of wealth and ownership of private property is biblical. What did Jesus tell the rich young ruler? <clears throat> he said, go and sell all that you own, that you own. But see, all these ideologies, the three that we're talking about here are, are trying to convince you that no, it's, it's wrong for you to own something that your fellow man, okay. your fellow brother, your fellow sister under this whole idea that we're all one brotherhood, you, you shouldn't, it's not right for you to own something else that your brother doesn't have. That's not right. The Bible doesn't agree with that. The Bible t- is totally antithetical to that. So these, all these ideas have in common the idea of theft under the guise of this sort of brotherly unity and humanity that we're all one one sort of uh uh community uh of people uh, but but that's all all those are rooted in this sort of warped idea that everything within society and culture must be equal um and so so what they do is they share their misery rather than share the uh the uh, prosperity
0: and and also to add to that for the person that might be sitting out there and going, what Jesus said, go sell everything you own. What was he doing? He's going right to the heart issue of that individual man right. and pegged exactly what was going on in that way. I well, mean, you, I you just there. nailed it,
1: Eric. See, I'm using this metaphorically. The difference between communism and what Jesus says is that Jesus didn't put a gun to somebody's head. I'm going to leave that at that.
0: <laughs> Next question. Uh, I understand that racism is not an everyday occurrence for people of color, but are you saying that racism? Wrong.
1: Next question. <laughs> let me let me expand on that. Let me expand on that. See this. See this. You should never get me and this guy together for a Q and A if you know what's better for you because this is what happens. We totally destroy the format that Eric wants to follow here. No, on the, on the one hand, no, racism is not the everyday experience of people of color. But here's the thing. Here's the caveat. This is why I said it wrong. And there is a there is a sense in which racism is the everyday experience of people of color as they experience that racism by other people of color. So the question I'm going to presume comes from my uh, part two of my message on yesterday. So correct as it relates to the, how critical race theory is defined. And for those of you who weren't here last night, I define critical race theory as the common everyday experience of people of color in America. That's that's how critical race theorists operate under that presumption. However, we need to separate the definition of critical race theory from the reality of, of society and culture experientially. So with critical race theories, they want you to believe that the racism that people of color experience is only at the hands of white people. The worst racism that me and this brother right here have experienced have been from people who look like us. I've never had a white person call me coon. I've never had a white person call me nigger. I've never had a white person call me Uncle Tom. I've never had a white person call me a sellout. I've been called all those names, but by people who look like me. So when I say wrong, it's within that context that I say that that's wrong. We do, people of color do experience racism every day, but the racism that's not talked about it's the intra-ethnic racism that we experience from other people who look like us
2: I, I would only I would add to that for a Christian to think biblically about the terminology that's used because what we're talking about is racism what, what, what you're doing is it's an attempt the word itself connotes motivation. We talk about racism from a standpoint of and, and Daryl spoke to it yesterday there's two two. Uh, positions that we could have concerning one another. Either it's one of loving you or one of hating you, right? I either love my brother or I hate my brother. It's not racism. So what is the sin of racism? It's ethnic hatred against another individual, another image bearer of God. And how do we deal with sin? We deal with sin according to the word of God. We address it, right? You could Matthew 18 it. You could you could you know uh, confront your, your the, the sinful party, hey, this is what you 've done against me, but what what we 've done is we 've gotten off of the of a biblical anthropology about ethnicity we 've borrowed the world 's terminology and called it racism and then what we what happens as a result is everything now that we see is under this rubrics of racism, so now everything is called racism, and it absolutely loses any value that it provided in the first place, I would add that it's it's of no value because what we need to talk about is ethnic hatred and the sin of hatred and the solution. If we can properly diagnose the problem that ails humanity, we can properly prescribe the cure, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ.
1: So just to build on what Verda just said there so eloquently, uh, see what the racist, to use the world's terms, what the racist doesn't realize is that the racist is actually worse than than a racist. Biblically, you're worse than a racist, racist. You're a murderer.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: You're a murderer because the scripture, the on what Virgil just said, scripture teaches that you, I either love you or I hate you. And scripture clearly teaches, there's no ambiguity about this. Scripture clearly teaches that if you hate, hate your, your brother, brother you're you a murderer. murderer. So the racist doesn't doesn't really get that biblically, they're worse than what they think they are. You're a murderer. You're a lot, you're a lot worse than a racist. You, you have murdered another image bearer of God by virtue of your hateful attitude towards that person. So the second half of the question,
0: and I think you've answered it, and I just want maybe to clarify that they're saying that, are you saying that racism, ethnicism no longer exist or that there aren't any white people who are white supremacists? As long as there's
2: sin. There, there will be sinners. Exactly. And so we should. What, what this question, what questions are? And, and I'm, I'm not impugning the person who wrote it. Yeah. But what, what, but. What happens often for guys like us when we come into a space and we begin walking? The assumption is, oh, what you guys are saying. Our detractors will say this. Also, oh, you guys are saying you mean there's no racism. Come on, right? That's the idea. And for us, it's like. I, mean, I I don't want, I, I don't want to be, it's like, duh, like, yeah, like, we, there's, there are sinners in the world, so the question should be framed, you mean to tell me there's nobody sinning against another brother in the world? Now, if we said it that way, we'd be able to, all of us are sinners, all of us continue to sin, we just did a, an episode, episode 120 on indwelling sin, and we addressed the fact that we... Even as believers, there's still sin on the inside of us. So the, the question shouldn't be a, either a, a, a come on, are you saying, or, and, and I know none of you mean this, or an I gotcha, right? Because it's neither. We live in a fallen, sin-filled world. And as a result, we're gonna encounter sinful people. Whether I identify your sin as racism or as some other ism is irrelevant to the fact that you've sinned against someone and that that sin needs to be addressed. That's the, that's the bigger issue, why? Because scripture is sufficient and it rules and reigns over everything. We talked about this on our, on our podcast. We don't simply read scripture, scripture reads us. And as a result of scripture reading us, it tells us who we are, what we are, and what our motivations are. And so my encouragement is, uh, and even thinking through that process, and, and I know it's either, it's, it's to address the person who's, it, it, the part, my thought is the person writing this is thinking of how they're gonna be confronted. So you mean to say there's no racism? No, you're gonna, the, the response you're gonna give is, I'm saying all of us are sinners, you and me both, and there are probably issues in my life that if, if you were to examine the, the, the inner workings of my heart, would look very racist as well in every kind of way, shape, and form. Why? Because I'm a sinner. And as a result, I'm going to sin against others. And I I just, my whole point in in belaboring this in any degree is to elevate scripture. And it's to elevate our our language, our thoughts, our minds should be, everything that we see, everything that we examine, everything that we think should be informed by how scripture um, explains it. Why? So that we can provide the cure that scripture provides. We properly diagnose the problem. We're able to properly prescribe the cure, which is the Word of God.
1: You know, I can just augment what Virgil just said <clears throat> just, just briefly. What we have to think of is the question that was, that was just asked. That question, apart from the gospel, is meaningless. Yes, yes. <laughs> Here's what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. Apart from the gospel, why should I even care? about racism. Why should I care? Why should I even care that a uh, uh, one person of a one shade of melanin hates another person who has a different, different shade, shade of, of, melanin. of melanin? Why should I even care apart from the gospel? I shouldn't even uh, The question has no relevance, what, no meaning, no importance whatsoever apart from the gospel. It is only the gospel that has a remedy to that uh, makes that question relevant.
2: It's like, it's like Black Lives Matter. Uh, ma- th- that statement in and of itself has no meaning whatsoever apart from a biblical framework. It has no... <clears throat> Black lives mattering matter to who based upon what standard?
1: Yeah, what do you mean matter? What do you mean by that? And we did this in our two episodes that we did on BLM two years ago. We exegeted that statement. Black lives mm-hmm. matter. What do you mean matter? So once you define matter, then we have to ask another question, well, why do, why do black lives matter? Yes. So, but apart from the gospel, they don't matter. You can't apply a humanistic anthropology to a question like that because then you make yourself slaves to the Black Lives Matters organization in, in buying into their definition of matter, you see. So what we have to, and I alluded to this yesterday, every Christian in this room is a theologian. And you must have you you must learn to 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 know your Bible so well that you think through these questions and you you're able to ask other questions. So this question about, uh, uh, you know, whether there's still racism, when when, when, whenever I'm I'm confronted with that question and we get it countless times, you can't that word still just makes my flesh crawl because you can't look at racism as still existing as if it were like a carton of milk with an expiration date on it.
2: Yeah, it's not, that's not going away. Sin's not it's going away. It's like Virgil just said. Away.
1: If you believe, let's just take the word racism, which I loathe, but we'll use it for sake of conversation. Racism is sin. Yes. And as long as there's going to be sinners in this world, on this planet, and this planet is, 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 is inhabited only by sinners, <laughs> seven and a half billion sinners inhabit this planet there's going to be isms like this so stop asking if we denied that racism still exists there is no expiration date on that
2: it's like it's the equivalent and again we we only emphasize the point for the purpose of you being empowered to go back and respond Um, respond biblically respond that, that and that and at the end of the day that's all i care about all i care about is that you come away from this place on a conference about biblical sufficiency about biblical sufficiency empowered with the bible being sufficient to address the issues of the day and this is one of them
0: so you need a biblical understanding of sin yes you need a biblical understanding of man yep you need a biblical understanding of salvation yes and apply that to what we're looking Be, at
1: because again w- what what's inherent to the question is uh, Number one, a reality that 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 attitude is is sinful, is wrong. That's inherent to the question. Yes. So once you uh, accept the the, uh, intrinsic reality that the question itself is arguing that this ism is sinful, to say that it is sinful takes you to Scripture. It doesn't take you anywhere else. It doesn't take you to the encyclopedia. It doesn't take you to your history book. It doesn't take you anywhere else. It takes you to scripture because yeah. only scripture defines what, what is, sinful. is sinful or what's sin or what is sin. Yeah. So you can go nowhere else but scripture for the answer to that in the, in the beautiful scripture
2: is sufficient. It's great. That's is a, a great thing for a conference. That's a great thing for a conference. You should do that. You might write so, that down. Got it.
1: <laughs> just 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 to finalize the point <laughs> to land on the plane here. You go to Mark chapter 7, where Jesus clearly articulates that a behavioral attitude such as racism, which is expressed outwardly, comes from in here. Yeah. This is what the culture doesn't get. Yeah. This is what they don't understand. This is why they resort to even more egregiously sinful solutions such as this DEI and uh, SEL and all these other humanistic approaches to try to change a person's. Uh, mindset by offering other sinful responses when Jesus says the answer is that your heart has to be regenerated. I hate you from in here. I hate you from up here, but that that hatred originates in here. This is like calling, if we could go back to the uh, Garden of Eden, this is like calling Eve a treeist or a fruitist. <laughs> because she took She disobeyed God, went to the tree, ate from the tree of forbidden fruit. That's like saying Eve suffered from treeism or fruitism. No, Eve suffered from sin. It says that when she saw, boom, 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 there was three benefits to Eve in in looking at that fruit the way she did. And that little word saw right there in the Hebrew, that doesn't mean she just visually observed the fruit that was on the tree. <clears throat> the same word saw that was used for Samson same word for Saul when David saw Bathsheba is that when what she observed with her eyes was interpreted as benefiting her here and then she developed a sinful desire for it in her heart then she ate it then David called for Bathsheba then Samson went to the woman you see so there's no such thing as treeism fruitism there's Sin, and in this case, that sin is hate. It is not some ism out there. uh
0: There are people from several churches here amongst us. There are people who have kids and grandkids in other churches that aren't even here amongst us. What would you offer as warning signs where this is either in the church or creeping into a church? And how would you counsel parents, grandparents, friends of those who suspect their loved ones may be in a church propagating social justice? Verse has a whole message that, on this. That,
2: That's the next message you're going to hear, I'm gonna unpack that whole piece. We're going to, I'm gonna pick up where, where Daryl left off yesterday in giving you the ideological framework, the historic framework for, from CT, critical theory, to C- CLS, to critical legal studies, to CRT, to critical race theory. I'm gonna take you back just a bit and walk you through how the, how the theological framework for these ideas made their way into our evangelical circles. And then I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap up with what, what you can do about it. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna table that one for now and unpack that. And, and, and whoever wrote the question, if, if the next 45, 50 minute sermon doesn't answer the question well for you and scratch the itch, come find me and we'll walk through it together, okay?
0: Both of you have studied social justice movements, CRT, et cetera, the roots of these issues that are impacting everyday life. What do you think is coming next based on history, impact these issues have had so far? Speak Prophet.
1: Well, I, I don't think the question is what is coming next. I think the question is what's, what's next is already here. Um, what you're seeing is if you really study the social justice movement closely, the progression yeah. or, or digression, depending on how you want to look at it, uh, is even. What's next is evangelical communism. Is what's next, uh, because that's that's naturally where Marxism leads. Uh, Marx. The goal of Marxism is communism, and what you're, you what you're seeing is there are some very extreme uh, uh, elements, especially of Black liberation theologians, and you'll find this in your more larger urban metropolitan areas in the country uh, not so much places like lubbock but but virgil just cited an example of uh uh, pastor jamal bryant at new birth baptist church in suburban um atlanta uh jamal bryant is a uh, black liberation liberation theologian um and though he may not know it uh a uh, most black uh, black liberation theologians embrace uh abortion They, they embrace uh marxism under the guise of Uh, justice for slavery. Uh, uh, Marxism is is sort of a uh, proxy for reparations for them. And they have no no idea that they're progressing along towards the path of communism. So what's next is evangelical communism. What's next is evangelical environmentalism. I touched on this yesterday with my own personal uh, position against this whole idea of climate change. Uh, You're seeing uh, uh, what was an opposite the opposite direction of what's happening happening in primarily black urban churches, you're seeing happen in white suburban evangelical churches is the climate change evangelical environmentalism is taking hold. So you've got in the black churches a sort of black liberation, Marxist communism theology that's taking hold, and in white suburban America you're having, uh, you're seeing evangelical environmentalism take hold and the transhumanism move, uh, a movement. Getting a foothold there. So I would narrow it down to those three evangelical communism, evangelical environmentalism, and then evangelical transhumanism movement, whereby <clears throat> even uh, liberal evangelicals are uh, uh, buying into the idea that loving their children means giving their children the autonomy to express themselves however they want. This is the idea of what I call a boundaryless love boundaryless love, where their love of their children has no boundaries whatsoever. That, and you're seeing these in many, in increasing number of TikTok videos, where you're seeing parents come out proudly uh, announcing that they are the ones who took their child into some surgical proce- to have a surgical pr- procedure done, to have their daughter's breasts removed, have their children placed on homo- hormone therapy and then proudly boasting you know i saw one video that a, a mother announced her four-year-old daughter had come out as trans so it's interesting the the and we've been talking about ethnic um, um uh, constructs if you will this weekend but it's interesting how when you look at these uh, evangelical constructs along ethnic lines how along one ethnic line You've got one or two types of what's coming next. And on another ethnic line, you've got totally different uh, ideas of what's coming next. But all those things are coming next under the rubric of uh, global humanistic oneness. It's Middle Eastern paganism is what it is. Yoga's making a comeback now in the church. Uh, uh, contemplative prayer is making a comeback in the church, especially among evangelical women. Um, So there is no one answer to the question of what's next. It's it's, it's a a multi-tentacled answer where multiple things are coming against the church. And again, just to reiterate what Virgil said, scripture is sufficient to address all of these things, but the church and from a larger perspective, God, the God of the Bible, is the target. Yes. The God of the Bible is the target. Yes.
0: Why is it difficult for people, even Christians, to understand that social justice is not the same as God's justice? Yeah.
2: I think, I think the issue with—can with, you all hear me? The issue with the—the the issue that Christians are having a difficult time understanding why social justice— Is different from biblical justice is I think twofold. Number one, um, most people haven't been taught what the differences are. So we, when we're talking about justice, justice is an aspect of God's nature. That's, it's an attribute of God. He is just. God is just. Uh, and, And along with His justice is His holiness or His righteousness. These are all aspects of the justice of God. And so we, in, in, our, in our fallen human condition, believe in some strange way that we can, we can do one better than God. God was, was good enough to redeem us in our, uh, you know, from, from sin and, 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 and rescue us and get us to heaven. And that, that was his justice, right? He, 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 he uh, exacted justice upon the cross, uh, paying the debt for our sin. We have now access to God the Father through the finished work of Christ. Uh, we're heaven bound, hooray. But now when we look outside the four walls of the church and we, we see culture, we, we're gonna have to help God out a little bit. His justice wasn't enough to, to manage all of that out there. So we've, we've got to create some, some social justice so that we can enact what God couldn't do or was too weak to do or was unable to do because we know how to do it better. And so here's what we're going to do with regard to justice. We're, we're going to add social. But, but the crazy part is what we're seeing in culture is now that they know that the word justice is a, is a buzzword that works, they're applying it to everything. So now you've got uh, environmental justice. You've got uh, health care justice. I was reading a, 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 um, some information from, uh, you, you'll appreciate this Daryl, from the Emory uh, uh, medical uh, 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 group there in, in Georgia and what they were wanting to do was they're looking at outcomes in an effort to implement health care justice for uh, minority populations. So, so what are they saying? They're saying that they're, they're going to now not make um, not not do research on the basis of you come in with an ailment. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna uh, track that, monitor that, and come up with the best healthcare outcomes. No, they're gonna actually put that aspect of examination aside, and, and they're gonna look at a historical framework of how a certain people group was treated historically. And as a result of those histo- that historic documentation, they're going to come up with 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 treatment plans that are. That, that are preferable to that particular segment of the population. And, and that way, they're going to impact healthcare justice. You, you, you all heard of this, this kind of justice uh, as it relates to economics um, with the, just recently, the Vice President of the United States. When she was talking about Hurricane Ian, and, and what she said with a group, she said, well, we've gotta look at the impact of a hurricane and how some groups are disproportionately affected by the hurricane. And, and they were put in positions that they didn't, they, they didn't know and, and, and were, were not a part of their, their, whole, their whole world. And so when, when we begin to provide resources for the people affected, we need to provide those resources in ways that seek equity and justice for certain underrepresented populations. What was she saying? Basically, she's saying when it comes to help and, re- and governmental resources, if, if you're black, you're going to get something first. And if you're not, oh, well, I, I, too, too bad. How sad. Now, the, the, the White House has had to walk that back. P- politically speaking, but from a standpoint of what's actually taking place, that's exactly what's happening. They've done that in the area of of uh, of, of covid relief. I mean, there's there's so many areas that this that this has an impact on. Simply to say, when we talk about issues of social justice or or justice by some other name, none of that is needed. There's there's no there's no need to put uh, a, a word in the front of justice for the purpose of of justice is righteousness according to the mind of God. Justice is holiness based upon the holy the the the, the thrice holy God of the universe. And so when we talk about justice, we have to begin there and recognize that all of us who are sinful, have fallen short of the very glory of God, and are unrighteous, and that we operate uh, from that position to begin with as it pertains to the righteousness, the holiness, and the justice of God.
1: Um, So yesterday, for those of you who were uh, here for my two-part message on the interconnectedness of critical race theory and Marxism, I gave you a one-verse apologetic against the idea of race. I'm going to give you a one-verse apologetic against the idea of social justice. All you need to do is just write the verse down. It's, it's uh, Le- Leviticus 19.15. Leviticus 19.15. <clears throat> one, one verse. This is a one-verse biblical definition of what justice is. Levit- Leviticus 19.15 says, you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. I, wanna, I don't want to embarrass, embarrass Virgil by saying this, but Virgil just gave you a brilliant exposition of what biblical justice is. When you do, if you were to do a word study on the word justice, especially as as that word appears in the Old Testament, every single occurrence has to do with the righteousness of God. So biblically, the idea of justice is an attribute of God. It is a characteristic of God's nature, just as Virgil said. So to do justice in the culture, in society, is to do what God would do. John Calvin, in his Institutes of the Christian Religion, said that. All of, uh, he used the word magistrates, of course, he was 16th century. But all of our uh, elected officials who we put into office are uh, to have authority over us and to govern us. Calvin said that those people are to see themselves as God's lieutenants. The idea here is that they they are proxies for God in administering justice according to how God would administer it. And what Virgil's talking about, especially, you were reading my mind Virgil, I was thinking about Vice President Harris as you brought her up. I mean, think about this, hurricane justice. Now, if I'm living, if I just, if my address just happens to be on the side of uh, Fort Myers, Florida, which was devastated by Hurricane Ian, if I just happen to live Where the path of that hurricane came from all of a sudden you're going to interpret a sovereign event that was ordained providentially by God as a matter of ethnic injustice but Leviticus 19 15 gives us a clear definition we don't need an adjective to append to the idea of justice there's justice and there's injustice. There's what God demands, and that's what God commands against. The idea of worldly justice is that they are partial to the poor, as we just discussed with Vice President Harris. But the word of God says, no, you're not to even be partial to the poor. You are to do what is righteous in God's sight. Worldly justice as we're talking about in terms of social justice is a skewed subjective outcomes based justice it seeks outcomes regardless of the truth biblical justice searches, searches for truth regardless of outcome so if you want a different a distinction between the two social justice seeks Outcomes regardless of the truth. Biblical justice seeks truth regardless of the outcome. And if you want a biblical example of that, just study the, uh, I think it's 2 Kings 3, where Solomon adjudicates the situation with the two mothers who were both claiming to be the mother of the surviving child. One child was dead, one was left alive. They're both claiming that they're the mother of the child. When Solomon threatened to cut the baby in half, see, social justice would say, cut the baby in half because it's not fair for either of the mothers to go home without a baby but yeah you'd have a half of two of a dead baby they would they would each go home with half of a dead baby but Solomon adjudicated that situation based first of all on the truth he let the truth direct him and guide him to the outcome so one of those mothers went home without a baby but see social justice says well nobody should have any consequences at all we got to do something no, but that's not what the Bible teaches. God's righteous justice means somebody's going to go home without a baby because I want the truth and let the truth guide you to the outcome.
0: I'm going to try to wrap up a couple different questions, maybe somehow into one question. Uh, and and I think it's appropriate because it came up in a couple different areas and and it's right because of Understanding some of the people that are here with us, uh, coming from their heart. Uh, we have we have several public school teachers, uh, people in public schools here. Uh, and I'm going to throw in the private school. I mean, I, I think Christian school, that doesn't really mean anything in, in so many instances. Uh, so to, to lump all that together, at one, as a public school teacher, how does SEL directly connect to CRT? And then... From another, how do we as believers reconcile the re, the reality of CRT coming into the public school with our role as a teacher, as an administrator? We have administrators here. Uh, so again, if you're in that spot, what are you looking for?
2: How are you responding? Yeah, I, I, a couple couple of thoughts. I'll start with I'll start with what's with with the the easiest from a standpoint of answer, and the and the difficult. Uh, the most difficult and challenging thing as it relates to how, how to respond and that is this as a, as a teacher or an administrator in a school or space where CRT or SEL is being implemented uh, and promoted um, you got some real decisions to make and the reality is at some point in that process one of those decisions will be what am I going to do after I leave here because at some point in the process there will be some, there will be a, a line drawn that you from a standpoint of, of personal conviction you can't cross where you're going to have to you know where you you're being told you have to use gender neutral pronouns in a classroom where you have to you have to you know make this statement about someone who's making a claim that they're a different gender you have to affirm that or you have to keep this idea away from a parent or you can't let someone know what's actually going on there's going there there will come a point in that process where you will have to make a decision to say I can no longer do this so, so I, I want to start with the easiest one to answer but the difficult thing from a standpoint of what you're doing the thing that i would tell you is um, there are as, as a teacher there are a lot of parents who hold to a biblical worldview who would love to have you working with them what your role may look like may be very different than the public school nature in which you've always understood it but you have to be prepared we, we talk about being resolved you're at the resolve conference you're going to have to be resolved to the, to the idea that there will come a day when you're going to have to walk away from that position and role. And so I, I just want to put that out up front. There's no caveat. There's no way around it. There, there will come that day. When that day takes place for you, I can't tell you that's something you'll have to study scripture. you have to speak with your elders, your pastor and have a conversation, an ongoing conversation about what's happening, a healthy conversation about what's happening, and stay in that space and be salt and light for as long as you can until such a time when you know that it's time, it's time to exit. And you need to make your exit clear. It doesn't need to be under the cloud of darkness. You need to expose it for all the light that it's worth. And Be very clear about, here's why I'm leaving. I disagree with this. and beca- not, not, uh, not angry about it again with gentleness and respect but be very crystal clear about about where you stand uh, how does crt and sel combine they, th- th- there was there was never a disjoining of the two ideas right the, the the two ideas were brought together one one was an was an ideological framework the, the other was from from pedagogy how do we teach this in these spaces and unpack this in a way that it's explained so that so that it's palatable to the student that we're that we're that we're educating, that we're indoctrinating, that, that, that's the only, only difference. Um, in fact, I was I was I, there was an article that, that I'd, I'd written for, for G3 where I was looking at um, school systems in specific areas in predominantly black areas where students had been had been filled with, with ideas of SEL and and ideas of CRT and 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 the fact that it was it was really just victimology. Well, the reason why you can't achieve is because, not because you haven't studied, but because the testing is racist and those who put the framework for that together were racist. And so it was, a, it was either a dumbing down of the, of the grading system and structure or a, a, a complete uh, deconstruction of, of what was put together uh, to, to, to educate the child. And what happened, what you would see is their test scores would decrease and decrease and decrease and decrease. And so what we're, what we're doing is we're putting together through, through things like SEL an entire generation of kids who will be unable to function in a society in which we live. They'll be perpetual victims of government handouts. Th- that's where they'll be if, if SEL gets its full traction throughout education systems in the country. I, 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 I just, I, there's no other way around it. Th- those two things were never disjointed. They were always together. And we actually understand their outcome, except for the outcomes are being explained away. They're being explained away. I could tell you more about that. I was just in Omaha, Nebraska, uh, helping out a, a, a person who was running for N- Nebraska uh, State Board of Education uh, and when one of the instructors were asked, or uh, talked, uh, were asked, "Hey, tell us about the the the, the outcomes." Well, the the the, uh, the school board educator said, "Well, the, the 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 outcomes testing that that, that doesn't really that doesn't really uh, tell you much about what's going on in the classroom." Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, they're they're the ones that set up the system to begin with, and when it works in their favor, it's it's a it's a positive thing, but when there's a need for accountability. Well, well, they're going to give you an SEL answer. Well, you know the students are, are, are you know underdeveloped in these areas, and we have to be sensitive to, to their cultural condition and their station in life and their status. And there's all these excuses that are given, long-winded answer. But that's that's kind of that's kind of the deal there.
1: There was a um, report that was released earlier this week that reported in the Baltimore Baltimore Maryland public school system that there was a black student who was at the top of their class, a senior senior in high school, top of their class with a GPA of 0.13. This is what SEL does. SEL will graduate your children from public school being empathetic but illiterate, illiterate. I want to cite one verse as an encouragement for those of you to whom the, the question is relevant, and that's Ephesians 5.11, where well, Paul writes, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. This goes to exactly what Virgil just said a second ago. Don't make your exit be in the dark. If you end up leaving, and I love what Virgil said, we, the, the milieu in which Christians find themselves today, um, look, for centuries, couple centuries now, Christianity in America has been a a relatively easy existence. It's been a relatively comfortable existence. And I can drill that down even further. The state of Texas, for Christians, has been a relatively easy existence, contrasted and compared with states such as in the Northeast or in California, where, where I am as Virgil said in his message earlier that he just wrapped up those, see, those days are over those days are over you're going to lose your jobs there's no way to sugarcoat this you will lose your jobs either you will leave or they're going to push you out the door you need to be prepared for that you will be fired for adhering to Ephesians 5 you're going to be fired you're going to lose your job Com- the, the days of comfortable Christianity are over, O-V-U-R, over. Done, finished, those days are gone. The target of all of these ideologies I promise you, you can do your own research, Christianity is the target for every last one of these worldviews. There's nothing, that, there's no worldview out there going after Islam nothing going after Buddhism nothing going after Hinduism there's nothing going after Taoism there's nothing going after Zoroastrianism every last one of these worldviews is attacking Christianity so the question you have to ask yourself is is what I say I believe actually a conviction because you're about to find out you're about to find out whether you believe is a convi- whether what you believe is a conviction or not. You're about to find that out. They're gonna force you to, to answer that question. So you might as well answer that question now because how you answer that question is how you're gonna respond when you're put into that situation that Virgil just described. The public schools want Christians out of the public schools. They want them out. But again, when you look at what Jesus taught from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, He said, blessed are you when you are persecuted. This is why you can have joy even in the midst of being persecuted on your job. Because like I said to you yesterday, if you have not yet confronted, been confronted with the uh, fruits of CRT, the demonic fruits of CRT yet, you will be just sit tight and wait because it's coming.
0: Can I say something sort of like the Hammond B3 rising in the background? Sorry. With smoke, probably. One thing, just a thought, as you're saying all that, that 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 teacher, that administrator needs to be prepared to stand. This is an opportunity for the church to show and demonstrate those one another's that Paul talks about in the oh, New Testament.
1: Yes, sir. Absolutely. Right, absolutely. <laughs> well, oh, man, Colin, you can at least get up here and hit the keys, man. Okay.
0: Care for one another. Love for one another. And again, within the groups that we're talking about, they don't care for one another. They'll they'll let you starve to death. But the church—this is that opportunity that the world can look and go, "That's different." What's taking place right there, when that teacher, that administrator, has stood to the very end, and then the church rises up around them to care for them—they're feeding
2: them. Which is why, can y'all hear me? Which is which is why it's critical for you to be in a Bible-believing church that gets this. Hear hear me, full stop. You need to be in a church where the pastor where you attend gets it. Not one that's capitulating the culture, not one, because only, the, the only way your soul will be properly shepherded in the midst of that storm will be by elders who understand the word of God, who stand on scripture sufficiency, and are able to not only equip you, but also care for your soul as you're navigating these issues.
1: And to how many, uh, how many of you in here right now are actually members of Fellowship Church? Ooh, wow, that's great trick question. You didn't realize that, did you? My point in asking that question is this: to Virgil's point, and to my point earlier about how the time is coming where you as a Christian is going to be you're going to be placed in situations where that you never thought you'd be placed in you realize that as members of fellowship church that you're you're still fellowship church when you walk out these doors you realize that right so if and when the time comes where you have a fellow believer regardless of their if they're a member of this church or not but you got a fellow brother or sister who knocks on your door and says hey I'm losing my house can I stay here can you help me buy groceries this month can you watch my children while I go look for a job that's how that's how the body of Christ what I call bodies that's where you go from a noun to a verb that's what the body of Christ bodies you put that noun into action and it becomes a verb So your fellowship church, even when you leave these doors, matter of fact, your fellowship church, especially when you leave these doors, especially when you leave these doors. So those times are coming. They're coming because Christianity is the target of all of these ideologies. And by association, if you profess to be a believer in Christ, that makes you the target as well. Okay. So I encourage you, I implore you to fellowship, to live that out, not just here on Sundays or whenever you meet as a body within these four walls. But commit yourself to living out that idea of fellowship, even when you walk out these doors. Be proactive. Call your neighbors up. Call them on the phone, email them, text them just to check in on them. And as you, as you check in on one another, those of you who are res- on the receiving end of those phone calls and texts and emails, don't be so prideful to ignore those calls and texts and emails. Don't let your pride get in the way. If you need help, let your, brother, your brethren know. That's what the body does. Nobody's going to hold that against you because Virgil described it absolutely accurate, accurately. There's a storm coming, there's a storm brewing. Not just a tsunami, this is, this is the perfect storm that's coming together. What we're seeing in society right now is evidence that you don't need a lot of people to form a movement and to get the, the uh, agenda of that movement in place. All you need is a few people who are in the right place at the right time. And that's what the world has right now. They have the right people in the right time to advance their agenda, to advance their ideology, and we are the target. So come together, fellowship with one another, and, and I, I can't wait to hear the good reports from Brother Eric, Eric after Virgin and I are gone of what's happening here in fellowship in Lubbock, Texas to help meet the needs of one another.
0: All right, I'm sorry if we didn't get to your question. Uh, They'll cover it in a podcast eventually just keep (laughs) listening right let me pray for us and then we'll break for about 10 minutes come back for final session Uh, Father thank you Thank you for your kindness to allow us to get together during this time It's an encouragement as we see what's coming it's an encouragement to be together and to prepare for that so that we demonstrate Faithfulness Faithfulness to your word faithfulness to the scriptures, how they apply. Uh, The picture Virgil just gave us of the storm. Mm -hmm. Father, we're all in this boat. Mm -hmm. As the church, we're all in this boat together, and we serve the Master who's sovereign over the storm. Calm our soul with that reality. Apply that balm to our soul as we walk in the days ahead and find us faithful to the glory of your great name we pray. In Christ's name, amen.